Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the New York Yankees official podcast. Trevi and I do a lot of work in terms of studying hitters and also studying our own pitchers. And we try to match up those two things and try to create the most optimal mix to, to call the right pitches when we can. They also shake a lot, so you know there's a lot of guys that kind of call their own game too from the mound. That's the cat and mouse part of the game. It's kind of an intricacy of, of catching and, and pitching and, and hitting. And so, I mean, you get to do it as a hitter, but I get to do it on both sides of the, of the ball. So, you know, my mind's always going. It's, I can never kind of like space out. I'm always occupied. The killer instinct part, or whatever you want to call it, everybody has that when you get out onto the field, especially at this level. That takes more work for me than just relaxing and in my normal everyday life. But I mean, I've learned how to get into that headspace every single time I go out there. I mean, just to be able to catch a, a no-hitter is, is something that I think every catcher dreams of. And, you know, looking back at when I was a kid, it was so rare and so special every single time someone threw one. You know, I, I remember reading in the paper when Hideo Nomo threw no-hitter and, you know, my dad was telling me how, how crazy and, and rare that is, so... As a catcher, just to be able to be back there for one, it's really special. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the New York Yankees official podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now across the desk, we have our editor-in-chief, Alfred Sanasiri. Hello. What's up, Al? And sitting right next to me, our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. Hello, everybody. What's going on? Guys, we have a fun one today. We have an interview with another New York Yankees catcher, Kyle Higashioka. Plus, I think we should probably, as we get to the end of May here, wrap up the month. The team is, I think, scorching is a fair word to say right now, so we could talk about all that stuff. But in the meantime, why don't we... uh, not waste any time and get right to our interview with Akashioka. What do you guys say? Absolutely. Sounds good. Let's go. Joining us right now, we have Yankees catcher Kyle Higashioka. Kyle, welcome. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, John. So it's hard for me to believe. I assume it's hard for you to believe, too. I don't know. Like 16th season in the Yankees organization. When you were drafted, I mean, the team played across the street still. <laughs> it wasn't even there. How meaningful has it been for you to be a part of this group for almost half your life at this point? When I sit and look back at it, it's uh, it's it's been a pretty pretty special ride, especially for the relationships I built here and in this organization, and you know all the teammates I've had over the years, and actually a lot of the teammates I had in the minors are now coaches in the organization, so it's it's pretty funny. But uh, yeah, I mean it's it's pretty crazy, but I feel like I still got a lot left in me, so I'm trying to keep it going. That's the hope for sure. If if you can talk to 2008 Kyle Higashioka. Get, you, you get kind of one paragraph. What are you telling him? Uh, <laughs> I 
maybe not, uh, not too philosophical uh, yeah, here. <laughs> I, I tell I tell them to maybe grow try to grow up a little quicker. Uh, <laughs> I think when you're 18, you're pretty much not an adult yet. I'd say mentally at least, and it's that responsibility and that self sufficiency that you have to develop. Um, and it, I mean, it took me a little while, and luckily I was able to you know, keep being given opportunities while I was developing that. But, um, yeah, that, that took probably longer than I would have liked. I love the fact that you have two crazy who can believe it, like life highlights that are so different in your baseball career. You have a three home run game on this side and you caught a no hitter on this side. How do those two experiences going through them compare for you? Both were just pretty crazy. I mean, just to be able to catch a, a no-hitter is, is something that I think every catcher dreams of. And looking back at when I was a kid, it was so rare and so special every single time someone threw one. You know, I, I remember reading in the paper when Hideo Nomo threw no-hitter, and, you know, my dad was telling me how, how crazy and, and rare that is. So as a catcher, just to be able to be back there for one, it's really special. I mean, I, I know looking back at your comments afterward, you said you were more stressed out than Corey was, obviously. But but in reality, I mean, you have to keep him calm in some ways. You have to be doing what you can to keep him moving the way he is. How are you managing yourself in those moments? In, in those moments, it's just like you you kind of rely on instincts and and you let your preparation take over in the moment because, you know, up in my head, I was really nervous you have almost no control over what happens once the ball leaves the bat, you know, if, if the guy puts it in play. So no hitters or, or perfect games, they take, they take as much luck as they do skill. So it's like at any moment, you know, a guy could hit a blooper or swing bunt single and, and you can't do anything about it. In the moment, you just let your preparation take over and, and it kind of just falls into place because, I mean, we've, we've done the same thing a, a million times before. You know, it's no different just because he hasn't given up a hit yet. <laughs> You'll forgive me here. You, you have such a cool persona, self-deprecating, easy. Uh, it, you know, you always seem, I mean, for lack of a better term, like very California, very. <laughs> is that totally natural or do you? is that just something that you try to put up as kind of the way you present yourself? Because in my head, and I'm not a professional athlete or anything like that, in my head, I know you have a fire. I know you have a killer instinct in you because you couldn't be a professional athlete if you didn't. But then you talk to you and it's just like, kind of down here and not up here is that work or is that just who you are i mean that's kind of just who i am and especially like in everyday life i mean <laughs> like showcasing your killer instinct uh <laughs> you know on a day-to-day -day basis well. is not very conducive to uh you know building relationships and just you know <laughs> interacting with people on a day-to-day -day basis so the killer instinct part i mean or whatever you want to call it Everybody has that when you get out onto the field, especially at this level. And so that takes more work for me than, you know, just relaxing and in my normal everyday life. I've learned how to get into that headspace every single time I go out there. So do you put some of that aggression that you have uh, that you don't put into everyday conversation into your guitar playing? Because uh, you, you like the hard stuff. Yeah, I like heavy metal. <laughs> I, I like uh, <laughs> I like the, you know, musical genres that are kind of like evoke some some sort of emotion because it's just you know music can be powerful and i prefer you know guitar driven work so it's like heavy metal that kind of hard rock all yeah. that stuff are there any other guitar guys on the team uh any guys that you can play with or talk about guitars with 
Uh, Garrett plays a little bit. Does he really? Yeah. And then um, last year, Ben Benintendi played. And then Tim, our trainer, he he's he's learning too. So all right, we got a few guitars flowing around the clubhouse. Do you remember the first song you really mastered? The the moment that uh, it stopped being like, okay, where's the C and where's the G, and it became like, okay, I got this. Song. Yeah, that was "Wanted Dead or Alive" for me um, by Bon Jovi. Sure. How old were you? If you had to guess, I I really started to learn when I was in pro ball. So. It was probably like 2011 or so that I, I started to really get it down and, and then also get the solo down. That was the big thing for me is it took me forever to start to learn guitar solos. That was kind of the first one that I nailed down completely. And and I mean, the thing with a guitar solo, and I'm not trying to, I hope it's not too much of a stretched metaphor here, but the idea of a guitar solo is to make it look seamless and to know exactly what's going to happen when you put your finger here and you strum here. But obviously you need to spend a long time learning the fretboard and learning how the fretboard works and learning, you know, which key is which or which note is which and all that stuff. It's not that different in a lot of ways from, you know, the way a professional athlete can make something like this look easy, but it's because of all the work they put in and all the studying they do. I mean, it's not just how you deliver in the moment when someone's listening or watching, it's what you've done behind, right? I mean, there's not, there is a commonality there, I feel, between great artists, great musicians like that and people who can make playing professional baseball look easier than it is. Those guys are so good. I feel like to them, a guitar solo is like me throwing the ball back to the pitcher. You know, it's like, it's just so natural and easy for them. It's just second nature. Whereas like, I'm not even close to that level. It still takes a lot of effort for me to, to nail something down in terms of like a guitar solo or whatever. But yeah, it's there. I think there's some parallels. Have you ever talked or played with Bernie about this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk about it all the time. Bernie Williams obviously uh, become uh, in his post playing days a really remarkable musician, everything like that. I always find it just fascinating. I mean, it's just like to try to find the top of another profession after you found the top of one profession in a sense. It's uh, there's a lot of interesting ambition there. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I don't know if as professional athlete you you really ever can turn off that drive to like master something. So I'm sure that he just took you know that kind of mental mindset that he had playing and just transferred it straight over to music and i mean he's he's a phenomenal player beautiful i love uh going to a totally different subject here (laughs) i love how far back you go with garrett i mean stories like that around professional sports are always one of my favorite things because it starts when you're just doing it for fun doing it for as a kid and whatever and then you know you guys can share a clubhouse together for the most successful baseball franchise on the planet i mean for a guy like garrett a guy that you go back that way as you're watching last year as he's pursuing yankees history in that way and somehow just because of what aaron judge is doing it becomes like a side note meanwhile you know he's chasing down like a really beloved yankees record for strikeouts what was that like for you to watch that both as a catcher, but also as a guy who's known him for a long time? In my mind, it was just a matter of time. He's so talented and, and his, his stuff is so nasty that I couldn't imagine him not making a run at it eventually. And um, I will say it did get a little overshadowed by a judge making history On with the same day. 62, but it was still really, really cool. And we had a celebration in the clubhouse for him as well. I mean, so amongst us, it was you know, we, we were in full acknowledgement of it and we, we knew it was happening. When you're catching a guy with great stuff and when you're, so I guess I could just say when you're catching a guy on this pitching staff, what do you bring? How do you maximize their ability? (laughs) 
part of it's just not getting in the way. Uh, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I mean, Trevi, Trevi and I do a lot of work in terms of studying hitters and also studying our own pitchers. And we try to match up those two things and try to create the most optimal mix to to call the right pitches when we can. There's a lot of guys that they also shake a lot. So, you know, there's a lot of guys that kind of call their own game too from the mound. But we do our best to try and know the hitters as much as we can and, and know the pitcher's strengths and weaknesses and kind of see how those match up and try to get the best out of our guys. Are there ever times, <laughs> this might sound silly, when you, you're back there, you receive a pitch. And it's a pitch you called for. You knew where it was going to be, whatever. But you receive that pitch, and you just say, to yourself, like, wow, that was an amazing pitch. <laughs> like, does that ever happen that you're just like, oh, man, that was a great pitch? Yeah. I mean, it happened more often when I first got called up, and I wasn't used to some of the guys. Like, the first breaking ball I caught from Batanzas, I, I almost completely whiffed it, and I, I think I just batted it out of the air. And I looked over, and Girardi asked me, like, if I was okay and I was like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. It was just never seen that before. You know, I just, I've never seen a breaking ball move like that before. So it happened a lot more when, when I first was coming up, but I mean, over the years and gathering more experience and the pitchers we've had, it, it makes it now. So, you know, we're kind of used to it. I imagine there are certain times like that, you know, you need to strike out or whatever. And if it's a Garrett, you know, okay, I, I can rely more on his raw stuff than I do on trying to find the exact right pitch in the situation. Is there that balance sometimes where it's like, okay, you know what? He's going to throw a triple digit fastball right here, high in the zone. And that, that'll be enough. It doesn't need to be, you know, the exact, uh, what the book exact book says for a three, two pitch in the situation. I'm assuming. Yeah. And that's where it comes in where, how do we balance the pitcher's strengths versus the hitter's weaknesses and which one's more important. And, you know, like I said, Trevi and I do, a lot of work to try to figure that out and we communicate with each other and what we're seeing so that we can hopefully just get the best out of the guys. How much do you enjoy that part of the push pull there and, and the sense of like trying to, you study so much, you, you know, so much about these pitchers, you know, so much about these hitters you're facing and, and to kind of just be in there moment to moment as you sit there with your pitch comp thing and you have like a second and a half to say to yourself what it's going to be, you know, how, how much do you enjoy that part of the role? I love it because it's that's the cat and mouse part of the game that you know it's it's kind of an intricacy of of catching and and pitching and and hitting and so I mean you get to do it as a hitter but I get to do it on both sides of the ball so you know my mind's always going and it's I can never kind of like space out so I'm always occupied it's going to be an interesting season obviously with the new rules and certainly so much focus on the pitch clock and everything like that as far as how it relates to getting that pitch to the plate Obviously, you have to expect this is going to be a interesting year for base running, too. There's a lot of stuff that we're just going to see as it goes and figure out what it is. What are you expecting, and how have you spent your offseason, your spring training, and now getting to the point where it just becomes the way the game is played and not something that you're – not another thing that you have to be thinking about when you already have quite a bit on your plate? Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be an adjustment, but – I think Trevi and I both played in the minors when they had the pitch clock. It was a slightly different system, but it's still a similar concept. It was it was a little less strict. You could step off whenever you wanted to. But this system's a little more strict and it's geared towards really adhering to that tempo, which I think in the long run is going to be fine and it's going to save us some time, especially when we're traveling. It's going to be nice to 
to have like, you know, 20 extra minutes instead, you know, that instead of us walking in circles on the field, uh, <laughs> you know, we were just getting the game going and, and it's going to cut down some of that dead time. So I, I think it'll be fine. And it's just going to be something that we're, we're going to need to adjust to fast. Last thing for you, I'll let you go. You've been more than generous with your time, Kyle. Monument Park is absolutely just filthy with some of the greatest pitchers in baseball history. You know, and they just happen to wear the same uniform you did. If you could catch any pitcher in Yankees history, if you could work with any cat, pitcher in Yankees history, who would, who would just be the dream to get a chance to work with, talk to, learn from, and do what you do as a catcher, which is help them excel? I caught Mariano in my first few years being here when he was still playing. I caught him in a game once and a few bullpens, and he was just like pinpoint command never had to move my glove in the game the movement was was insane it was late cut i would just say i I would like to have worked with him during the season because that that would be that would be pretty fun he's undoubtedly the best relief pitcher of all time so just to see him work in season would be awesome Kyle, you've been more than generous with your time. Obviously, the idea of getting a catcher here, knowing what catchers are dealing with all the time and how much work goes into just being ready for that night. Can't thank you enough and look forward all season, of course, to watching the way that you, the way that Jose, the way that uh, the whole pitching staff and comes together because if the 2023 Yankees are going right, a lot of it's going to be because of that elite pitching staff and that includes uh, the guys behind the plate too. So Kyle, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. This is Nick Swisher, and you're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Tommy Canely. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. Welcome back, guys. I, it's funny. It's funny listening to this again. I, I, I think it's. I, I think it was pretty clear. I did this interview during spring training, so obviously at this point that, that was a while ago. But I think everyone's pretty relaxed and easygoing during spring training. And when you combine that with Kyle Higashioka's just natural vibe, <laughs> it was a little bit different from our last uh, Nick Swisher episode. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's his MO. That's how he rolls. And it's he brings a great calming presence uh, to a very important position. So, uh, yeah, I, I felt like that interview was very uh, indicative of the, the type of guy that Higgy is. I've liked him from day one. I, I just, you know, he's a kind soul he's a good guy what a great teammate he he is um i think back uh, you know some of the things you guys talked about reminded me a little bit about ironically my interview with jose trevino last year um when he was talking about you know people who were welcoming to him when he came to the yankees and you know he wasn't here in spring training and he said you know no one was more welcoming than kyle Higashioka funny because you know they were vying for the same position and to me I don't know that I'll ever forget that comment if I if I think about Higgy 20 years from now that's probably something that I'll think about because it's just such a um, such a character statement and uh, he's just a great guy I also have memories that 
I think about from many, many years ago, being at spring training, having my son, who was really little at the time, on the field with me. And it was raining, so it was kind of his day to, to be with me, but it wasn't the best day because no one was out and about because of how hard it was raining. And Higgy was out there with a pitcher or whatever. And um, actually, without me asking him to c- come over, came over and asked if he could son assign my, my son's baseball. And I always <laughs> remember that. And again, things that whenever, you know, I hear a long interview with him, uh, like the great one we just had here, um, it kind of gives me these flashbacks to those moments. What, what a great guy he is and it, on top of a quality player. It's funny for me because I, I think I mentioned this when we had Jose Trevino on. When we started this project, I figured we're going to get a lot of relief pitchers. We're going to get some coaches. We're going to get some front office people. If you would have asked me, would we ever get a catcher? I'd be like, no way. These guys are just way too busy. The fact that in our first two months of this podcast, we've had both catchers sit down with us for 20 minutes or whatever. I think that's pretty interesting. But what it gets me thinking about a lot is uh, we all have sons who play baseball and things like that. And, you know, Al, your your son's a little older than, than Nate, you and me, but... We we had heard that our sons, I should say, uh, but it's always funny for me because you kind of I don't I don't know if you're finding the same thing with Owen, but we're kind of reaching the point here where catcher has stopped being the position of oh man, just you know someone back there who's going to go chase after balls every so often and hope that he doesn't stick his glove in front of the bat. And Ethan, my son, really likes playing catcher, and of course I'm apprehensive, like you know a lot of parents. But the funny thing is, you know what occurs to me is, hey, if you're a kid who can sit back there and take the beating and you enjoy it. Like that's, you basically have a ticket to play baseball as long as yeah. you want. Uh, you know, every, every team as you go on is going to be looking for a kid like that who can really catch the ball and not make the pitcher wait a minute and a half between every pitch. It's funny as I'm talking to obviously big league catchers, a, diff- a very different world <laughs> knowing that, you know, also coming back and watching my son kind of learn the position a little bit. It's just, you wonder how, how, how it happens and, and, and what has to be in your, brain but i think i speak for both of you when i say you never really know what's in our kids brains anyhow so uh, <laughs> yeah you don't well but, trevi never really envisioned himself as as being a catcher they kind of you know moved him there in the minors boy I, I mean i wish i could go back and, and be a catcher it's so like you're just so involved in the game like it's 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 almost uh hard to imagine all this stuff that these guys got on their plates but um you know, that's part of it takes a special kind of guy and that that's part of the reason why Higgy has been in this organization for as long as he has. He he brings a lot to the table even when he's you know, maybe not in the starting lineup, uh, you know, he's just there there's so much knowledge and and just his presence I think brings so much and that's why his teammates love him. If I would have asked you before we were editing this who was the longest tenured member of the organization on the roster, would you have guessed Higgy right away? Yeah, yeah. I he's I uh, I've known about him for a while now. Yeah, I I would have too. I I think maybe our fans might not have, and that's a fair statement. I would have as well, and the reason I I say it is I just think back on like I just said spring trainings of the past and I I go I feel like I mean, I've been here 20 years and sometimes I think he's been here like a big part of that. I know it hasn't been, you know, quite as big, but it's it seems like he's been here a long time. He came up, you know, you, the older I get, the the more I realize how early in life a professional baseball player's career starts. And that's what's interesting to me. Like even just, you know, 
you know, I kind of compare it to LeBron James because he came right out of high school. And, like, you know, my wife and I were talking yesterday about how old he is because I know he's contemplating retirement and stuff. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, he's like 40, he's like 80 years old because I feel like he's been around forever. But he started so young like a baseball player. He's only 38. Yeah. Like, how the heck is that possible? How How is he younger than me? But it's funny because, you know? like you said, like – and, and I mean, you guys are bragging that you got the answer right. Sorry that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think if I actually would have, if I would have gone name by name, I would have figured it pretty quickly. But it is funny. I mean, you got to do your homework. I guess so. Really, he is the he he was a Yankee before the stadium that we're sitting in right now. That's amazing. Existed. That's yeah. amazing. And the stadium that we're sitting in right now feels. I don't want to say like old, but I mean it feels like we've been here for a long time. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. Um, but he's the only one though, and and I'm curious what you guys think about this too because this is something that he and I spoke about a little bit. He's a catcher, obviously, and you know the nature is catchers are also hitters. But for so long, you know, you didn't really think about that as two jobs. You thought about it as catching first. If you were put yourself in the position of a major league catcher, and you could do one of two things: you can catch a no hitter, hmm. or you can have a three homer game. Mm-hmm. Which uh, which is your goal, if you will? I'll I'll, I'll answer. It, it would be catching a no hitter. The only way I can relate to that personally is this way. What my place in life was and is was a fan and now an employee. I grew up as a baseball fan. I'm still a baseball fan, but I'm an employee of the Yankees, and I and I get to go to a lot of games. So the the way that I kind of figure this out or come to what I what I believe is how I feel about it, I guess, is what would I rather see in my life? What would I rather like someday tell, uh, you know, the, the cliche, well, I would tell my grandchildren I was at what? Well, I would rather say, and I was at a perfect game with David Wells' perfect game as a fan. I've also been at a game where people have hit three home runs. I was my second year here, Alex Rodriguez hit three home runs. And I remember that vividly. The perfect game is infinitely more memorable and more rare and more special and all that stuff. So that's what I would say. Now, I guess in this case, you're talking about the, you know, in one case, it's the person actually doing it as opposed to catching it. But knowing what catching means to Higgy or, you know, Jose Trevino or any catcher, I'm thinking they would probably feel the same way or say the same thing. Yeah, I think catchers would tend to give you that answer. If you had said four home runs, though, I would take the four home run game. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's super rare. And, I mean, the list of Yankees who have hit three home runs in a game while catching that same game, it's three guys. It's Bill Dickey, Mike Stanley, and Kyle Higashioka. So in in some ways, it's even more rare than catching a no-hitter. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, games that – fans are going to remember forever catching a no-hitter is, is pretty pretty cool i think i agree with you guys i think that that's the right answer too i'm sure that if you asked kyle Gashioka, that's the answer he would give the one devil's advocate piece i'll play here is everyone knew that kyle Gashioka was a good catcher i don't think anything changed about people's perception of him as a catcher that day i mean first off Let's be frank here. The way it works, no matter how much preparation, no matter how much work Higashioka did, it's still spoken of as Corey Kluber's no-hitter. I mean, so, sure. so, so that's that's the first part. But I think in terms of which changed people's perceptions more of the player, was it catching a no-hitter or was it hitting three home runs in a game? Did that make you lift your head and be like, huh, I didn't know this guy could do that? Like, I think we would have said Kyle Higashioka could catch a no-hitter. 
Before that happened, I'm not sure anyone would have said Kyle Higashioka can hit three home runs in a game. So I, I, I do think I agree with you that the no-hitter is a more exciting thing for a catcher to be involved with. And I, I, I do wonder, though, like, you know, I mean, did he make himself some money? Did he make himself some, you know, fame? Did he, you know, get himself a longer leash somehow, maybe, because he had a three-home run game when sure. no one saw it coming? It's just an interesting thing for a catcher to do those two things, despite, and this is no knock on Higashioka, never really being an everyday catcher in his career, yet he's caught a no-hitter and he's hit a three-home run game. It's wild it's, to me. Yeah, and I think it's 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 one of those things. It's like you put yourself in a good position by working hard and playing hard and, and, and persevering for a long time, which clearly we talked about him doing. I mean, yeah. he's been persevering since before the stadium existed, as you just mentioned. Um, you do those things, and for some people – Luck finds them, you know, where they're the guy that's catching a pitcher who's got destiny on his side that night and he's going to throw a, a, a no hitter um, or he gets three pitches in a game that he can that he can drive. You know, that's the residue of, of all that hard work. But, you know, there's other people who go a lifetime, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I'm sure there's catchers that are much more storied than him, let's say, that never caught a no hitter. Anyone who's played, you know, caught for the Mets for like. A long, long time, never caught a no hitter. Um, but you know, that's just that's you, you know they the did throw a no hitter. They've they've now thrown two no hitters. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I know of one. What are the what are the what are the two? Johan Santana. And well, that one I don't. Does that one? I don't know if that one counts or not. But then the other one. What was the other one? They had a multiple pitcher no hitter last year. Yeah, I, again, I I talking about real no hitters, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that's a debate right there that we could have on an, in another podcast. Is the value or the importance of a combined no hitter? I would love to do that at some point too. Is this Astros erasure on your part? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Higgy did etch his name into the Yankee record books, though. I would say more so with the three home run game because if you you know flip through the Yankees media guide, there's a list of pitchers who have thrown a no-hitter and there's a list of hitters who have had three home run games he's not in there for having caught the no-hitter which he should be though and, and, and here's the thing he should be a no-hitter first off this, this is something i always love whenever garrett cole talks about pitching every single time no matter what it's always we were this we were this and that's when it's good you know we were really hitting our spots we were really you know nailing everything when it's bad it's you know, we were missing. We 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 were we we had some non-competitive pitches. I don't think that's him deferring blame. I think it's him acknowledging that it is totally a combined job. Mm-hmm. Pitching is two people, even though he's doing it. And I'll add to that two two things, um, which I think are are really important for this conversation. The one is even pitchers who don't talk like that, and there are some that don't, when they pitch a no hitter or a perfect game. Maybe the world or the media guy doesn't acknowledge the catcher the way that it should. The pitcher always does. And I think even back to just being at the um, dinner in 2018 for David Wells' anniversary of his perfect game. I mean, the amount of credit and the amount of conversation that he evoked about Jorge Posada, who was literally standing on the stage with him, was almost equal to what he had done and, and the way that he kind of guided him through it. And I mean, I almost wish there was a different, almost a comparable example in sports. And I almost don't know what, what that is, but pitchers do. I think when they're in the depths of a sixth inning, seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning of a no hitter or a perfect game, I think they rely on their catcher more so than ever because the stress it's so magnified 
from a regular start, you know, where you're just trying to get through seven good innings or whatever it may be, that I think they almost realize in the moment and after the moment how important the catcher is. And and the other thing we were talking about our our kids a minute ago, and my son caught as a as a way to add value to his team. It was never his primary position, but he was good enough at it that, you know, he could catch every fifth or, or so game on his travel team and stuff. And one thing I always remember the conversations about, and I add this, it's like, even if you don't get a hit, you're contributing mightily to the, if we win this game, you're, or you win this game, you're contributing mightily. And I, and I think that's something, especially on a no-hitter, doesn't matter what you do at the plate. Your contributions are tremendous to that team. For sure. I, I think that it's such a interesting thing for me to talk to, to again, a guy like Higashioka about, because as I said, you know, the, the guy, it's just like his pulse is at like, you know, 12 beats a minute when you talk to him. And yet he was talking about how ner- he was more nervous than Corey was. He was going crazy. And in my head, I'm trying to figure out what does it look like when you're going crazy? Um, because yeah. you're he's just so mellow. He's so easygoing. And you know, one of the things that I thought was funniest in the conversation was, you know, I asked him, like, I'm sure you have a killer instinct. Where is it? And he's like, yeah, you know, having a killer instinct and showing it isn't necessarily the best way to make friends and be a normal person. <laughs> and it's one of those dumb moments when you ask a question that in your head, you know, you're like, I got a good answer. So maybe it was a good question. But then as he's answering it, you're just like, well, that was a ridiculous question. Like, <laughs> of course you're right about that. Like, yes, please don't go around showing your, you know, emotional fire and killer instinct as you're sitting in traffic. Maybe that's not the best way to handle life. Um, but I think I think that is actually though a good place to turn the page because as we said, Jose Trevino right now on the injured list should be back soon. But right now, Kyle Higashioka Obviously, catching every day. Probably going to catch another no-hitter this weekend. We, I mean, let's do mm-hmm. it, right? So if, if you were to talk about, of course, the, the story of the first two months, now that we're nearly at the end of the first two months, I think, for better or worse, you would say, man, this team has dealt with a lot of injuries. One thing that we have seen over the last couple weeks, though, is the story is not dealing with a couple of injuries. It's thriving despite a couple yeah. of injuries. And again, we're recording this on Wednesday you want to talk about last night, I mean, just another one where, you know, you have a division opponent coming in here, the Orioles look good, it's kind of scary, whatever. Go and down 4 nothing. Down 4 nothing with your ace on the mound. Uh, on the, I don't know if you guys were watching the broadcast, but Kay and O'Neill, they're kind of talking about why are you using all these relievers? Like, you know, you don't want to use all your best relievers in a game you might lose. You know, you're so shorthanded right now. And then what happens? Went out in the ninth inning, Aaron Judge ties it up with a home run. Anthony Volpe, our May cover boy, wins the game with a walk-off sack fly. And it's just I, – I, look, I mean, they all said the right thing. Of course we expect Aaron Judge to hit a home run. Of course we expect that. Like, sure. And at the same time, maybe maybe we do expect Aaron Judge to hit that home run. And that's maybe when he comes up there, yeah, maybe he's reached the point over the last two years where that's pretty fair to expect that he's going to hit that home run. I, I think it's very fair, um, and that's a ridiculous thing to say, you know, to, to use the word expect. I mean, the way I look at it, I think he's, you know, exactly what Anthony Volpe said. I, I will mirror his words. I think Aaron Judge is the best player in the league in, in baseball. I think he's the best player on the planet, I think is what he said, or something to that effect. He was last year. I think he is right now, not just because of his propensity to hit home runs, but for everything he does. And, and of course, there's a great argument that could be made for a handful of other players or certainly one or two. But seeing Aaron Judge every day, I, I can't imagine a baseball player being better than him in any facet or at any time in history. I mean, he is that good right now. That being said, 
he comes up in the ninth inning. Again, I don't know about the word expect, but to Volpe's point, you sure as heck can't be surprised. I mean, he's that good. And, and you know, if you look at, you know, I almost think about it like baseball is, is a sport that's so built on failure that that's why this is even a conversation. If the best football player in the world, who's generally a quarterback, had the ball and they were down in the quote-unquote ninth inning or the fourth quarter or whatever, you'd be expecting that Patrick Mahomes is going to go down the yeah. field and score a touchdown. It's a huge difference. So what, it's different, but in this case, yeah, totally, because this, this sport is built around failing. Like 300 hitter fails seven out of ten times. But you're talking about the best player in the world and the guy who's doing things that, I mean, we haven't seen in forever and certainly maybe not expecting, but no surprise whatsoever in my opinion. Yeah, I think the fact that it's not surprising makes it more amazing. You know, it's like, I don't know. I mean, there's guys pretty much up and down this lineup that I think are capable of hitting a game-tying home run in the ninth inning. You know, I mean, none of them would really surprise me about it. But then when Aaron Judge comes up and he does it again, you're just like, man, like I... uh, you know, I want to like reach for my phone and like text somebody who I know was watching it somewhere else. Like, can you believe this guy? Like, it's just, it's really incredible to watch. We're so fortunate to get to see him on an everyday basis. Yeah. Um, it's just, I've never seen anything like it. I feel like I might be picking at a scab here with uh, my conversation with Nick Swisher a little bit, so you'll forgive me. But the one thing that I've also noticed is, <laughs> and I think that the the reason for this might just be as simple as the Toronto Blue Jays. He seems like he's enjoying it a little bit more this year. He seems like a lot of these home run trots, you know, there was that one a couple days ago where he really stared at it in a way that Aaron Judge does not stare at home runs. Last night, look, I mean, you or I would be like jumping up and down and crying as we ran the bases, but we're used to a stoic little drop the bat, and he was just beaming as he... Ear to ear smile. I mean, and honestly, I think that, look, I've always kind of said that one of my favorite things about sports is rivalries. And I love, you know, I th- what was the, I think there was a name of a book about the Duke UNC rivalry, like to hate like this is to love forever or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I might be getting it wrong a little bit, but the point is like, I love that we come off last week. What is, was truly, and I mean this in every single meaning of the word, a ridiculous series against the blue Jays. Like it could not have been more absurd. Some of the things that happened there, but you also just got the sense that, you know, they kind of, poked the bear a little bit. Yeah. And now suddenly Aaron judge, it's not just about, you know, the fact that he's been on this crazy run player of the week, uh, you know, statistically unbelievable. There's just, I don't want to say a fire because he always has a fire, but there's just this sense of joy that I get joy from watching him have because it doesn't look businesslike and it doesn't look expected or whatever you want to say. Even last night, as we recorded someone say last night, that was joyful. Yeah. And and the thing the, the comp that I always go back to is if you go to the game last year when he hit his 60th home run and he trotted around the bases like a guy whose team was about to lose the game and you know didn't show any emotion then Giancarlo Stanton hits a walk off grand slam and you see him beam like a little schoolboy and I don't want to say he had that same smile last night when he hit his home run but that's the joy that I like seeing from Aaron Judge that it's not just business and it's not just you know work it's like man get love it while you're doing it because. It, it might not work out. It might yeah. y- y- the team might not win the World Series. You never there's right. there's 29 other teams trying. Yeah. Enjoy your successes. Yeah, it, I, I think he, you know, I, I've had enough conversations with Derek, with Derek Jeter about you know him 
almost lamenting or regretting after, you know, I didn't really enjoy the journey because it was all about the destination and it was, and that destination wasn't even like winning the world series. It was like the end of his career. I'll enjoy, I'll enjoy it after. It's important to enjoy things while they're happening because they're special and they're, they're, you know, Aaron judge at 55 years old, isn't going to be doing this. No, he's not going to be doing anything as exciting as this. I, I dare say, but it's nice to see him, relishing in it and enjoying it he deserves it i mean he's he's earned it and deserves it and yeah last night that was so dramatic and and to your point just that smile is etched in my etched in my mind today yep and then uh volpe with the walk-off we love having a guy uh on the cover of yankees magazine do stuff like that so uh hopefully Fans coming to the ballpark this weekend. This is your last chance. Uh, Anthony Volpe on the cover of the May issue is only going to be on the newsstands here for uh, a few more games. So if you're planning on coming to uh, the Padres series, be sure to pick one of these up. Yeah, I mean, you're only on the cover of Yankees magazine for the first time once. That's right. So you, you might as well get a couple walk-offs uh, yeah, while you're doing it. <laughs> but for, you know, this is he's only going to have his first cover one time, and this is his first cover, and it's really special especially because it was, you know, the, the photo of him running out to the field for the very, very, very first time as a Yankee. Um, this is it, Memorial Day weekend. It's always one of those times when you look at how things are going in the standings, and the fact is, if you would have looked at the standings a week and a half ago, it was pretty grim, and it's gotten a lot better in the, <laughs> in the last week and a half or so. So we'll see uh, what happens with the rest of this homestand and obviously into the month of June and beyond. But it's, it's certainly... Fun to watch the Yankees every night right now. And uh, I, I look forward to uh, several more months of doing it and several more months of talking to you guys about it. So, Nate and Al, thanks so much. Same here. Yep, we'll do it again soon. Hi, this is Garrett Cole. Thank you for listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice. The New York Yankees official podcast is a production of the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. It's produced by me, John Schwartz, with assistance from the entire team of Yankees Magazine, as well as incredible support from the New York Yankees Media Relations Department, in particular Jason Zillow, Michael Margolis, and Caitlin Brennan. Thanks also to our awesome social media team, Ryan Callahan, Julia Shore, and Alex King. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcasts. Leave us a review, leave us a rating, you can even send us your thoughts over email, podcasts at yankees.com. For more information about the stories we discussed today, visit yankees.com slash magazine, where you can read all of our long-form content. If you'd like to subscribe to Yankees Magazine or purchase individual copies of the magazine, your media guide, or anything else, please visit yankees.com slash publications or call us at 800-GO-YANKS. Of course, you can also stay up to date on everything happening here at the stadium by following us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine or by liking us on Facebook at Yankees Magazine. That's it. See you next time and go Yanks.